And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Welcome. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here. I'm the editor-in-chief here at Talk Out For Me. And we are glad to have all of you here with us, whether it's live or in replay. The live chat's open. Comments are active. You can uh, join us and share your thoughts, ask your questions. Uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast, we're glad you're here as well. This is available on a number of different podcast players. We also have a newsletter to sign up and uh, all the socials. And I mean almost all the socials. So there is that. So let us get started here because we have on the phone, on Zoom, I guess, we're going to parlay with the popular pontificator of periodical publishing, Perch is with us hello sir hey there thanks uh, thanks for having me on well it's good to have you in i mean it's it's been one of those things where we have chased around um oh, lots lots of weeks many months talking about uh having some kind of a conversation online we've talked a couple of times behind the scenes uh, but your channel has just uh grown by leaps and bounds here you seem to be the go-to guy for sales analysis and industry analysis and what's going on in the comics industry well let's ask perch <laughs> how does that how does that feel your your newfound fame here as it were it, well i should have done a face reveal some time ago is really what <laughs> i think it comes down to but um no it's 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 I, i'm surprised always i when i started doing this channel uh it was all it was a way for me to carry on conversations i wasn't able to have in the shop at the time I, my shop had closed uh, while we were waiting for kind of a relaunch and moving to a new spot and through the pandemic. So uh, I, it was a way for me to talk to people, to have conversations I normally would have uh, with, with folks in the shop or at a con. And it's just continued to go. And I guess I have a lot to say because I post way too many videos. And, <laughs> and so people come and, and check it out. So th thank, I, thank you for everybody who's done that. Now, for those who are watching, uh, you'll see uh, uh, Tuxedo Pooh Bear here. This is uh, yeah. This is just kind of a placeholder. Uh, a couple of things to to go through here first. One, you you're going to do a face reveal. You say you've actually made the promise. There is an an impending yes. reveal. What what's what's going to happen there? Well, again, it was all accidental. I mean, a lot of the videos I record are ones that I do in the car. Or I'm doing kind of on the road while I'm running around. So. I'm not recording video. So, so the lack of a face reveal was not really any kind of plan. It was just by nature of the videos I was creating. It's more mm -hmm. akin to a, a podcast. Um, but then as it's grown, it's kind of gotten away from me a little bit. But like you said, I did, uh, I promised an artist uh, who's been on the show uh, many times before is interviewed. Uh, I've interviewed him. He, he wants to interview me. Um, and I promised him he could, he could do the, the, the face reveal such as it is it's gonna be a very non-event but it will be nice nice to have that out of out of the door and, and i think we're gonna do that at emerald city this uh in a couple months so where did the winnie the pooh thing come from because i've seen that uh, everywhere and and every time anybody has anything where perch yeah. is going to be on the show there's there's winnie the pooh so what is that all about well, I wish I could say it was some kind of vast conspiracy to kind of poke fun at the, you know, the head of China. But no, it's, it was actually uh, when I first created a Twitter account, I went looking around for a quick avatar and I put in uh, like cartoon character thinking. And the first one that came up was was Winnie the Pooh. And that was what went in the thumbnail. And everybody just started running with it. And they, they've sent me art. Uh, I, I Again, I'm going to get sued by Disney at some point, I'm sure. Uh, but that's that's. There, there is no thought behind it all. This, this entire story is one of accident. <laughs> That's usually the way it works, though, isn't it? I mean, you, oh, yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 the post that goes viral or the video that everybody watches, it's one of those where you just never intend for that to be the one. And then Absolutely. it just goes everywhere. I did. Uh, we had one of those where uh, I did an interview with uh, Ernie Gygax over the TSR mm -hmm. TSR coming back, 
And that one blew up. It's got almost 17,000 views and, and broke the internet because everybody now says, well, TSR is this terrible, toxic thing, and here's this interview, and they're pulling one sentence out of the hour. And, yeah. you know, we're getting posted everywhere, you know, Reddit and, and various different sites that I didn't even heard of. And I'm thinking, okay, this is not the one that I expected to blow up. So, you know, it just, it, you're right, accidents pretty much seem to be the rule of the day rather than the exception. But the, you mentioned yeah. the conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a comment here in the chat from Clone Geek. Perch is the leader of Arbygate. <laughs> well, this is another one of those uh, almost jokes. Um, I, I was, I, I don't remember the, now I do not remember the point I was trying to make at the, at the time. I, I explained it at the moment, but it, it's like how people can fight about everything. Yeah. So I was just mentioning a bunch of, I'm rattling off a bunch of things that, that are pet peeves, things I don't like. And everybody's got those. Um, and I mentioned things like the uh, kind of the Orlando airport. I remember it's just uh, I hate going through there. It's always soppy and messy. But I also mentioned Arby's. I don't like Arby's. And for whatever reason, that one caught on. People liked it. And, and apparently uh, the, uh, you know, the other uh, popular, the more popular YouTuber, uh, Zach, uh, he's I guess he's talked about liking Arby's. Um, so I didn't know this. But anyway, apparently this this blew up and. Uh, we, we found a, we found a war against pro Arby's anti Arby's. I mean, it's all garbage, fast food, yeah. whatever it happens to be. So, <laughs> but I, it's funny how these things, uh, always come up and yeah, that's it, the story behind Arby's. It yeah. really feels like though. And, and that's the nature of the internet anymore is that, oh, yeah. like you said, everybody's got to have something to fight about. Yes. Yes. Uh, they, it could not, it, it wound up being a perfect illustration of, of everything. Just yeah. if you can fight about Arby's, then we, we just, <laughs> what is the point of anything? So, well, I mean, clearly, clearly the, the winner in that is Chick-fil-A. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, you put a pickle on a chicken sandwich, like you can't, I mean, what they're geniuses. Well, you sure. can't go wrong with that. All right. Let me turn that off. I forgot to turn that off. All right. So, uh, so it, no, go ahead. No, no, just it's the, the that's that's the, the bad distraction is just that we, we argue about everything constantly. And it is it is it is tiring. And I yeah. think I do see people getting tired of it. So with that in mind, you you look at the in in the comics industry specifically, you look at the arguments between the comics gate movement and the anti comics gate movement and the professionals, you know, the, the people that are that are coming down on on either side of this thing. Mm -hmm. Are there are there points to be made? Are there legitimate points being made on either side or is everybody just making a bunch of noise in your opinion? No, I, I mean, I think there's points on each side. I, I think the, the most aggravating thing about this argument is, you know, for to take one of those points, um, the you know, one group will say the comics have gotten too expensive. The other group will also say that, but if the first group is saying the comics are, are too expensive and the second group won't be able to, uh, you know, acknowledge it. So it's like it, it, the, where people stand on issues tends to be very fluid, but there are definitely points being made. I mean, the, the, the price per value is too high. There, there's a lot of, unfortunately, it, it's a lot of topics all bundled together that people are arguing about. At the end of the day, I wish that we could just get to a point where if you're say comics gate you're making comics make your comics sell the comics and and the end you don't have to people do not have to come in there if you don't like the comic if you don't like that group you don't like what they stand for or anything else don't buy the comic and then mm -hmm. kind of vice versa and i know i sound a little bit like uh, like kelly sue who said similar things but it <laughs> it it really can be your the people misunderstand the power of their wallet if you hate something if you don't want to buy it you know first of all don't subject yourself to something terrible right don't buy it you know sa save your own sanity but Doing that uh, is is advice that could be taken all around. I, I don't like how we see people who are, you know, quote, comic professionals saying, you know, on one hand, if you don't like my comic, don't buy it. But on the other hand, then complaining about this other group that went out to make comics, like all your own advice. Don't buy it. Just right. leave, leave everybody alone. Make comics. The world will be better. Speaking of Kelly Sue DeConnick, we've got this video mm. that turned up. And this yeah, yeah. this started circulating, I think, over the weekend, and nobody had real nobody really knew where it came from because she did her interview back in whatever it was, 2014, 2015, where she says, "If you don't like my politics, don't buy my book," and that's yeah. been everywhere, and everybody quotes it. Yeah. 
And people apparently took her at her word. And now, you know, and this, where she's talking about uh, how the industry has suffered, you know, stores are closing, sales are down and all of this. But it turns out that this, you would think that's, well, it's pandemic and it's lockdown and all of that. But this interview is from September of 2019. Yeah. This is before. before all of that. So internally, at least, uh, and within certain circles, it seems like they're acknowledging that there's a problem, even at the same time they're arguing with the Comicsgate people that there's not a problem. Yeah, I think we haven't settled as a group as to what, and and this is maybe a lot of what I try and do on my channel. I know it irritates uh, various groups at various times. Um, It, the reasons for this drop in sales, there's not one of them. I think everybody would like there to be just one, one, but there's lots. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the biggest one is one nobody really wants to hear. And that is uh, when comics walked away from the newsstand and the comics were available everywhere, that was massive distribution. It was, you just had so much more volume, so much more ability to find comics. And what's happened is we gave away that. And so I know that, you know, the people talk about, social topics and comics, the quality of comics, all those things are factors for sure, but they all kind of get dwarfed by the fact that the comics are just not in a lot of places. It's you, you have to seek out comics where before you walk into your grocery store and you could find them. Right. And so what's happened is the generations have aged uh, people who, you know, kids who could just find the grocery store, got hooked on comics. Now will drive and seek out, you know, the comic shops or adults, but there's nothing like that for this next generation. And we know that comics had massive sales when people were, you know, between the ages of eight and 16 or so, um, they, they basically have to rely on convincing their parents to drive them to a comic shop of which there are fewer and fewer to get even hooked on this. And, and with distractions from your phone and from consoles and Netflix and everything else, that's, that is a huge problem. Um, and it's funny because I, most groups don't talk about that very much. They'll talk about piracy. They'll talk about social issues. They'll talk about those things. And those are factors. But at the end of the day, there's not, we're sold in a 20th of the amount of places or less than they used to be. Is there a, a reasonable solution for that other than digital? I mean, is everybody, everybody talks about the book sales and we've got, you know, DC and and Marvel and now IDW going with Penguin Random House as mm-hmm. distributors for both the graphic novels and the periodicals. But that still is a limited distribution chain. I mean, that's going to the bookstores. That doesn't go to the convenience, you know, the convenience stores or the or the dime stores or grocery stores or anything like that. Is there any way possible? to get back to the newsstand? It, it, not like it was. There are ways you could do it, though. I, I think the idea of being able to walk into a grocery store and having a, I mean, a spinner rack yeah. is going to be a hard sell now. Um, but that doesn't mean that those venues can't have a handful of comics. It doesn't mean that they can't do more collections. It doesn't mean that Marvel can't take five or six of their books, bundle them together, sort of like what Walmart did with DC and those books. There needs to be a lot more of that. and the, the But the goal of it is not to cater people probably like you or me who are big comic readers. This is all about new readers, about right. trying to say, here's here's something at a cheap price. By the way, it can't be $10. It has to be like a dollar or $2 aimed at, at kids to say, here's almost a primer of five different books. And we're hoping one of them catches you. And if it does, here are five other places that you can very, besides just the comic. And keep in mind, I'm a retailer. So I... Of course, I want business in my shop, but I see the comic retailers dying off if we can't get new blood injected. And the only way to do that is to offer up comics into more places. Is the Walmart deal um, fraught with problems? I mean, a lot of people when they were with their, you know, when DC did their their collections that went in there, and then of course the Brightweisers did their deal with Walmart. And I know there were a lot of complaints about that having to do with fulfillment of the of the crowdfunding campaign and that's a separate uh set of complaints but Mm -hmm. you look at the big box stores things like walmart or or hobby lobby or um uh, what else is out there? target yeah yeah are those 
how viable are those as distribution destinations? I mean, and yes, everybody goes in there, but I, the books are off in a corner and there's yep. not a whole lot of attention uh, put on them. Is that, that's not the best place that you would think to put these, right? No, I think you can put some graphic novels there and I think that or some trades and that'd be useful. But uh, the place that people should be eyeing is up the front of the store at the cash register, similar to a spot Archie used to hold their little digests. Mm. I mean, you got to capture people there, but it's going to take almost a different size. It's going to take something that I guarantee you every big comic collector listening to this right now, just cringing. So it sounds like a product none of us would want, <laughs> but it's, it's got to be a, a, almost a digest size, cheap, cheap paper as, as thin a margin as humanly possible. Put it up there at the register, get it, get the case where parent is there with kids. And I mean, it's the oldest, story in the book and the kid's like i want gum i want candy i want this comic have the have it there for an impulse buy we've got to have that and the funny thing is by the way we we talk a lot right now about manga and what it's doing in the in the u.s um i know for a fact that biz is closing on some deals to put kind of manga collections in that spot and i'll tell you if they can accomplish that if Scholastic, I mean, you know, the, the success of things like Dogman and, and Rain Telmiger and those books, one of the reasons why Dogman blew up is because they put Dogman there at the register. It was right up front. It wasn't in the book. I mean, it was in the book section too, but it was right up front. So it became this area where people could pick stuff up. And and it's just that they're going to, what, what Viz is doing with manga, what Scholastic is doing is going to just, dominate for the next 10 years if the uh, traditional comic publishers cannot start to play ball well i meanwhile i mean dc is stepping up though with this i am not starfire i mean i I, I look at that one and i and i think why are they doing this because it seems to be so tone deaf with yeah. regard to, I mean, you, you, after you, you take away all of the arguments about politics, and it does seem yeah. like where you fall on the on the comicsgate argument kind of feels a little bit along the lines of political ideology as well, although not one hundred percent. There's no hard fast rule there, but mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing where you know the people who are complaining about political agendas and identity politics and all that other stuff they have now a textbook case here here's this i am not starfire that completely trashes the entire lore of all of those characters and mm-hmm. this is supposed to be you know the the example uh, this is supposed to be the the bait to get new people to read comics. And it's nothing like any of the comics that actually succeed in the history of comics. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's an odd product. And I, I've looked at that one, uh, Nubia, the, uh, the new one with Jessica Cruz, it's out. I mean, so trying to assess what's going on here, these books are written for, I'd say the older end of the YA market. Mm. And really they're written for a market that is not going to translate into comics. Uh, they, they're not nobody's gonna i think pick up say the i am not starfire book or the jessica cruz book and go now i want to become a, a regular green lantern reader or a titans reader that's right. that's it's there's not a path there um there's obviously there is a ya market for sure there's a lot of money in there but the question mark becomes how valuable is say dc's ip to that market i mean this is a group who doesn't care about dc characters they're they're picking up brand new brand new ideas and they're reading them and they're enjoying them they're buying them um if you wander in there with say hey here's a different take on batman that audience doesn't care about batman so it's you're not really competing and and to the point i think uh right now if you go to amazon i am not starfire is uh number 243 you know in the dc graphic novel list this book's just been out what a month it's it's not competitive um and that's so it's just a it's a miss. And meanwhile, though, there is an example of a hit. And that's uh, the this book Primer that DC did. And that book is regularly in the top five, sometimes one or two beating Watchmen uh, from a product DC is putting out. Now, why is it doing that? Because it is directly aimed at this all ages kids. There is no 
previous DC property. There is no uh, previous character that anybody has to realize. It's just written for kids, written by somebody who knows how to write for kids. And shocking, that one's doing great. So it's it's really just, you know, I, I don't think this part is rocket science. You, you make a book that appeals to the market and it will do well. If you, I, I did, these these books are strange. And and by the way, uh, Nubia was, was maybe the strangest of this bunch because they have in this book, it's designed to be sold to school in, in schools. And as a major plot point in this book is a school shooting. That's no school is going to go for a book that features a school shooting in the book. That's right. crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and on the other end, you also have to have a comics industry, a publishing industry that's willing to acknowledge when sales are bad because, you know, now that sure. they've, now that they've folded in manga sales, and they're counting all of the, the crowdfunding stuff, and they're saying, "Yeah, so, you know, comics comics are doing great. They're doing gangbusters." Like, hold on, um, are they really? Because if you're counting, you know, like you mentioned in one of your videos, if you're counting Jordan Peterson's book as a mm-hmm. as a comic book just because Ethan Van Skyver's got sketches in it, are you really being honest about the sales? Because you know, even then, you look at Comicron. That sales to the retail shops that doesn't follow through in actual customer sales. And you've sure. done a lot of sales analysis and a lot of number crunching and all of this. It are are we ever going to be able to get an accurate assessment of what's actually being sold to customers? No. <laughs> no, blindly no. I, I think that's that's a, a loss. And I think the the sell through to customers is not as interesting as as I think people think. Um, it would be good data to have. I wish we had it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of products, not comics, but I mean all over the place where it's you know the numbers you're seeing are sell to shops. It's a, it's a B to B to C business. So you're you're getting that first metric. You're not getting the sell through. Right. But. This is not a new problem. I mean, the comics industry since the 70s has obscured the numbers heavily. It's it's always kept this very protected. And the part that I wish there was more noise about is we hear a lot of the creators talking about whether it's healthy or not healthy or doing well and, and so on. They make a lot of noise. But these are freelancers. They're not actually part of the company. They're 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 working for them, but they're they're maybe the the least interesting person to comment on this to some extent. The people who are silent is the, you know, where's David Gabriel, for example, who this is his job to, to distribute comics. He should be giving more statement. I mean, this, this, these are the people who have to solve these problems yeah. at DC and at Marvel and these other companies. And that group, I don't want to say hides, it maybe sounds too sinister, but they, they basically are invisible to all of us. Um, and so when we talk about acknowledging sales, you know, it's not like, like Tim Seeley acknowledging sales is who, who cares? I mean, he's, he's a creator. He's trying to get work. He's a freelancer. Good on him. But the publishers themselves need to start acknowledging kind of the sales and where it's going. And I, I think the funny math, it does drive me crazy. I, I think if you're if you're tying in a Jordan Peterson book and calling it comic sales, then I don't even know what we're doing anymore. It's not a meaningful number. <laughs> so I mentioned, Ethan, uh, we've talked about uh, uh, Tim Seeley, some different some different people. Mm-hmm that are moving to the indie side, but also we've got the Substack deal that's happening now. It's almost an acknowledgement, because some people are reading this as an acknowledgement that the big two are done. And Mm -hmm. the the market is, is shifting enough that we have to cover our cover our bases and, and basically cover our losses and get out and do our own thing. Is this a smart move? Do you think this is the Substack deal just a, a passing fad? This is the latest. This is the latest keto diet, and it's going to go away in six <laughs> months. Or, or is there something to this? Do you think? I think there's something to the idea. I don't know that Substack's going to be the winner of that idea. I mean, they're they're heavily funded. Um, that's great. So they they've got a lot of investment. We'll see. They'll need to do another round to get more investment. Um, I think the the growth of indies. I mean, we're in this period where for the next 20 years, we're going to see now some big change. I don't believe for a second, Marvel and DC are going away. I think that there's some people who feel burned by Marvel and DC and would like them to go away, but they, these are owned by multi 
billion dollar corporations, they're going to continue to chug along. Now, the product they put out may be unrecognizable to comic collectors who collected Marvel books in the 80s. What a Marvel book looks like in 2030 may be completely different. But um, I, I think these things are healthy. I think that crowdfunding, Substack, all this, these are all concepts being tried. The, the only unhealthy thing here is that these concepts really needed to, to be attempted in 2010. Like we're, we're a decade late for a lot of this stuff showing up. Right. And what's right. happened is in, uh, in Asia and in Korea and Japan and in Europe and France and, and some of these places, they are much further along. And they're seeing the benefit of some of these new models and some of these new ways of doing things. That's why we're seeing this big influx of, of manga and very shortly more European content. And I think it's it's going to be catch up. Is that, do you think, the, the, the result of not in my neighborhood thinking because you know this is you know this is the way we've always done it we've always worked with diamond and we've always published and put it out on wednesday and we've always done it this way and that and then you've got you know people like uh peter samedi for example over at alterna comics you mentioned making comics cheaper you know he's printing on newsprint and he's doing his own distribution he's not even going through diamond anymore is that part of the model too now or are there going to be maybe uh, Boom or sure. Antarctic or any of those smaller companies that decide to to do it a different way and get the books out di- through different channels? I think all the models have to be on the table. I do think, uh, like you said, I think there's been a, a behavior mm-hmm. and certainly we've seen it kind of entrench over the last maybe 15 years or so of this is the way it's always been done and it's just done this way. I mean, you saw this like insane reaction when uh, DC announced they're going to release the books on Tuesday instead of Wednesday. Right. It's a day. Um, <laughs> the only people I think that needed to kind of talk on that were retailers talking about it operationally that was going to cause them an issue. It, it didn't. But the, but everybody else, I mean, watching kind of Marvel do a whole variant cover line on the fact that they shipped on Wednesday. And I think Eric Stevenson talked about uh, DC being sociopaths for doing that. I mean, th- this is this is crazy thinking. And if you're a publisher of any size uh you you can't you you have to be innovating right now if you're if you're sitting back and going it's just always been this way you're you're gonna get killed all right sir well i know you've got to head out you've got a heart out here so let's uh tell people where they can find you you've got your own channel we've put that link in the show description here where else can people uh see you read you watch your videos where else I, I do have uh, some social media, of course, uh, on Twitter mainly uh, is where I am at Facebook, but all the rest. I do have Substack that I, I put up as a joke and then people subscribed. And I have no <laughs> idea what to do with it now, but uh, there you go. Um, Trans- but generally, yeah, on my channel. Videos. Yeah, there, there you have there it. You um, and I'm happy. I'd love to come on. I, I apologize. Our time's cut short here today, but I'd, I'd love to come on again, talk to you anytime. I feel like there's a million topics we could talk about and oh, it's always... Uh, Always glad to help out. All right. Yes, we will definitely have you back. And everybody go follow Perch if you're not already. Uh, and uh, we will we will do this again, sir. Thank you. All right. We will be right back with more right after this. Stand by. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. That's an interesting question. I think it's a big question. It's a good question. When you need to know, count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. It's an interesting question <laughs> you're asking. You know, you ask very good questions. <laughs> but you, you ask such a perceptive, it's an excellent question. Now you've put your finger on, <laughs> uh, you've put your finger on exactly the heart of the book here. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here. We will definitely have Perch back on because we just, just scratched the surface of the surface of the surface of various different things. But yes, definitely go check out uh, his channel, um, especially if you're into comics. 
even if you're not into comics, Perch has got some really good insights into personalities, I guess you could say. Um, the psychology of it, you know, just some observations of people and how you should, how you should, how you should be, how you should behave. So, uh, it's a very smart man there, Purchase. Well, I'll have to do some really big, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest to him that, uh, that he needs to do a, a really big to do countdown, uh, for the face reveal. Uh, so anyway, all right. So what I want to do here real quick, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to play this clip, uh, from Kelly Sue DeConnick. Now this is from, uh, September of 2019, and it's an interview that she did along with her husband, Matt Fraction. And they're talking about lots of different topics, but this is the one, this is the piece that's making the rounds. That's the, that's the, the clip. So I want to just uh, play this really quick, just to give people an idea of what it is that she says. Now, Kelly, Kelly Sue DeConnick is the same person who sat there on Sci-Fi Wire and said, if you don't like my politics, don't buy my, don't buy my book. And this is what she said two years, almost two years. Well, yeah, two years ago now. I think I, I tend to be pretty optimistic, but in this one, I'm worried. I'm straight worried. Why? Um, because uh, stores are closing at a phenomenal rate. Uh, independent comic sales are down. Um, number mainstream comic sales are down, except for the very like the top five, three or five books are up, and everything in the mid list is way down. Numbers that used to be numbers that would get you canceled are now like no, that's a hit, you know. Um, uh, independent books making back the cost of doing floppies is uh, like names that should be able to do it, no sweat. Are, are going into the red on singles but, and not coming out until the trades. Uh. And that's one of the things that I think is a real interesting part of all this, different aspect of this, because like she says, back in the day, sales were such that you know, you'd have you'd have a comic book, whether it was Batman or Superman or, or Hawkman or Justice League or whatever. A hit way back when was 300,000, 400,000 copies. Now, if you have 50,000, 80,000, 100,000, that's considered a hit. I mean, the top 100, if you look at Comicron now, the top 100... There are some books in that that are not selling five digits. It, it's it's one of those things where the sales are way down across the board. Now, why is that? You could attribute it probably partially to the behavior of the creators, but I don't think that's all of it. I think Perch hits on a on a on a very important aspect of this is the distribution. When the comics came off of the newsstand, you lost an entire uh, half a dozen sandboxes there for people to discover comics. I mean, my some of the first comics that I got were off a spinner rack at a Seven Eleven. You've got, I you know, it, the first comic. The first comic book publisher that makes a deal with Quick Trip, gold. Somebody, I'm going to patent that idea. You know, send me a check. I, I may, I may tell Peter Semitic put put the Alterna comics in the Quick Trips because they're they're in a lot of places. Quick Trip continues to expand. It's it's, you know, everybody goes to Quick Trip. Or in in the case around here, I don't know how widespread they are. Casey's General Store. But these 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 comic books, as we know them, the floppies, the monthly periodicals, they need to be in new places where kids can discover them. That's one piece. Then, 
in addition to that, like like Pert said, they got to be made cheap, but they also have to be telling stories that reach that audience. They need to be all ages books. We're we have spent the last 40 years now doing the adult books, the grown-up books, the gritty books, the dark books, Watchmen, The Dark Knight, The Killing Joke, you know, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Returns. The impact that those books had on the entire industry. And now you have books that are not written for all ages. They're written for the 30s and 40s and 50-year-olds. You and you and you see this with other with other things too. You know the the new He-Man, Masters of the Universe cartoon, not made for the kids. It's made for the ones now who used to be kids when that thing was popular the first time around. We're we're banking too much on the nostalgia factor on some of this as well, but also this idea that comics have to be some kind of like you know like like sci-fi snob says comics went from a cheap throwaway media on the newsstand to a high-end collectible in comic shops and and the types of stories they try to tell and their level of success may vary um, widely but the kind of stories they're trying to tell you know, relevant for our age, and comics have always been political, and all of that. Well, no, tell tell me a fun, rip-roaring cape story that's got a good guy and a bad guy, and you don't have to give me existential, nihilistic angst splattered on every page. And give me good artwork. And this is not at the, the creator's level. This is the responsibility of the editors and publishers. You have Jim Lee, you have uh, uh, Joe Quesada, you have, uh, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name now, over at Marvel. Somebody help me out in the chat. Um, Marvel Editor-in-Chief. Um, oh, I, I don't know why I just blanked on his name. But anyway, you've got you've got the people who are in charge at the editorial level who are letting a lot of things pass through that probably shouldn't. Bad artwork, bad writing. Um, there's one that's there's one page that's uh, floating around right now from X Men that's just a word salad balloon. It, lo it's, it looks like something that Bendis wrote, and it's all word balloons the entire page. And down here at the bottom is Kitty Pride and a couple of other people. Editors should not be letting that go. Editors should not be letting that pass. That's you don't do that because nobody's going to read that. And Unless you find a new Jim Shooter, for example, then I don't know that you're going to, even if you get the distribution in place, I don't know that you're going to find a new audience because the types of stories that they're trying to sell. <sighs> anyway, all right. So let me let me say hi to everybody in the chat. I know I know Perch had to leave, but we've got people here who will probably hear for him. Uh, I see Nerdit's newsstand. I've seen some of your videos. Very well, uh, very good work that you're doing there. Honey is here. Jero is here. Of course, Sci-Fi Snob is here. Is one of our regulars. I see Clone Geek. Uh, Hex Allen Comics. I think it doesn't. Hex Allen, if you're still here, you you've got a, a book that's that's funding or just finished funding, if I remember right. I could have that wrong though. That's been known to happen. All right, so oh, that's something we don't see every day. All right, so I'm looking at my analytics, Mrs. Boss. Okay, so over here on YouTube, it says here how many people we have as concurrent viewers, right? The people who are actually on here right now. It says. Right now it says 17. Okay, that's a that's a good healthy number for us. Now underneath here it says playbacks. Uh, 
And I guess those are people who are starting it later, maybe. I don't know, starting from the beginning. I'm not sure exactly what that number is. But it says 154. And we don't we don't normally see that number that high. So uh, those of you who are new, if you came here to, to, you know, for, for purchase pontificating and you're, you're sticking around, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we also invite you to connect with us over on Odyssey. Uh, and Mrs. Boss, uh, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll just do this. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to put it. It's a, a what? All right. So there is our Odyssey channel as well. Uh, sci fi Stop says crappy YouTube doesn't give notifications in time. I, what was it? Was it yesterday? Uh, I think Mazurus was saying that his, his notification from YouTube came about 30 seconds before we went on the air for one of our shows. I think it was yesterday's bunker. So, yeah. But it's always good to have a guest in. It was good to have Perch for the, for the time we had him. Anytime a browser or device started playing the stream. Okay. So hopefully hopefully that number is going to go go pretty high. We'll see. I don't know. <sighs> okay. All right. So, um yes, Hex Allen Comics is currently funding on Indiegogo. We should we should talk at some point and and bring you on uh Good Morning Multiverse for uh for about 10 12 minutes and uh let you do your spiel. Hello, Justin Case. Howdy. Good to have you here as well. Tell who? Justin? Uh, Justin Case. Mrs. Boss says hello and thank you for the information on that other uh, the other con that uh, we needed to know about. Um, no. <laughs> Sci-Fi Snob says I fired up the bots for today's stream. No, that would probably be Mike Glyer over at uh, File 770. He's the one that's got all the bots. He's 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 bought them all from the Chinese. So, I don't know. I don't think that there's any one good answer for this. But the acknowledgement from the insider professional crowd needs to be a little bit more obvious, needs to be a little bit more open and in the public eye that there is a problem, that there is a, a question of how to move forward successfully for comics and pay rates, page rates, uh, contract obligations, all of those things are in there, rights and responsibilities, uh, quality control, uh, cost of doing business in terms of, you know, printing costs and paper and how many variant covers you're going to have and all of that other stuff. I think, I think the whole thing needs to be rethought. And I don't know that anybody's willing to do that. I don't know that anybody's able to do that as, as a whole. You're going to have to take it piecemeal, which means that the solution is not going to present itself very well or overnight. Um, and side by side, you mentioned a, a Alterna, Peter Smitty. They actually are going to have to have a price increase I was seeing the other day um, because I think with the pandemic and distribution costs, I think the cost of paper is going up, so their cover price is going to go up from $1.50 to $1.99, I think, for most of their uh, most of their books. But um, still, you know, $2 for a comic book instead of 5 or 6 is much better. And the quality of the printing on the newsprint is... Pretty good. Uh, you know, technology has improved to the point where you don't get the, you know, the layered bleed and the, you know, the the alignment is off on one of the color layers or whatever. You, you get some pretty good printing on newsprint now. I, I really do think that DC and Marvel should be looking at some, maybe not all of their books, you know, that have the, 
have your prestige titles, and that's fine. Print them on slick, glossy paper, which can't be recycled as easily, I don't think. But have have your newsprint options. Have your cheaper books. Have your have your dollar seventy five, dollar ninety nine, two fifty dollars, you know, two dollars and fifty cents books instead of seven. Because it's not worth it, especially given the quality of the work. And and it's a, it's a craft thing. It's not a politics thing. It's not a you know. You know cram the identity stuff back into it or anything like that or the representation or anything like that that's that's secondary there are ways that you can do that and still tell a good story star trek's done it you know it's it, there are there are ways to do it there are there are there are approaches that you can take that don't distract from the story but you have to have writers and editors who are willing to do that and that's a key point because, you know, I mentioned Jim Shooter earlier. Jim Shooter brought an attitude to Marvel Comics that this is a business. We are here to sell a product. And the impression that I get, and this is an outsider looking into it. I'm not involved in the industry. I don't have anybody on the inside giving me any scoops or anything like that. I would like to have that. But... My understanding, just as a reader of comics, is that there are a lot of people on the inside in the publishing of comics who don't treat it like a business as much as they should. Now, that's an impression. That's my opinion. I could be wrong about that. But I don't think I because I've seen too many people who are connected to the industry who are making the comments that people are seeing comics as a way of either getting the Netflix deal or pushing some kind of political agenda or it's just a stepping stone to something else and this is just the thing that I do for now. And if you don't have people taking it seriously who make the thing, then the quality is going to suffer. Politics aside, the craft of it is necessary. So, yeah, if manga is going to get that end cap impulse buy slot there at at the checkout counter, then... You know, DC and Marvel and Image and all those guys are already behind the eight ball. This is going to do even more uh, to set them back. And, you know, IDW is now going with Penguin Random House. That's three. You've got Marvel and DC also. How many others are going to leave Diamond as a distributor? And what does that do to Diamond? And... If enough comics... See, here's the other danger to that. If the other comics publishers move over to Penguin Random House, we're probably going to end up right back where we were with one single distribution point. Like your boy's access, it's one single point of failure. What happens if everybody decides that they're going to get Penguin Random House to distribute their books, and then something happens, and Penguin Random House can't distribute the books? Not saying that's going to be the case, but what happens if it does? We have shown, we have seen, it has been proven now that having a monopoly on distribution is bad for the industry because at some point something gives in, something gives way, and it and it collapses. Hopefully, we don't have another pandemic, we don't have another lockdown, but. You know, who's to say we don't have a teamster strike and nobody's driving trucks and there's no there's no transportation. You know, right now the the film and TV industry are looking at a strike from from IATSE, which it could be the very first time that they've had any kind of a strike. That's going to affect productions everywhere in the United States. Does that affect, you know, if if one union decides to strike, what does the other unions do? It's all it's all interconnected. And if you have one single point of failure, 
whether it's Diamond or whether it's Penguin Random House or somebody else, you're inherently baking in a problem that you should try to avoid. So, uh, Robert says, Penguin Random House is a global billion-dollar company and has infinitely more resources than an American-only comics distributor. No, I, I get it. And I'm not saying that anything's going to happen to Penguin Random House. But what happens if, let's, let's, let's just speak a hypothetical here for a second. What happens in this day and age where all of these companies are being gobbled up and bought and, and, and sold by other companies, by bigger companies? Let's say that something, some company like Disney, for example or Amazon, or Apple, or, you know, some, some giant corporation buys Penguin Random House. I'm not saying it could happen, but it could happen. And let's say they look at it and they go, why are we, why are we doing comic books? Why are we selling 10,000 units here? Why, this, is, this is a loss. We don't need this. Sell it. Get rid of it. Stop distributing. Then what happens? In the movie industry, <coughs> whenever you have a project that's greenlit by a particular executive, and if that executive falls on hard times and gets fired, the project usually suffers. We saw that with John Carter. I don't know that the office politics of publishing is the same way. I'm just asking, what if... Anyway, all right, so that's going to do it for us today. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to take a look at the Space Force because they've been rolling out some announcements and they've got a new uniform to look at. So we're going to take a look at that tomorrow. So uh, join us for that. It's not going to be politics. I just say. All right, thanks very much for being here, folks. Don't forget, Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday morning. And we are reorganizing for Salacious Crumbs with our Star Wars news. We'll have an announcement on that for very soon. And uh, we did have a new H2O that we dropped Monday night, so go check that out. We're talking about the unfilmable books, the stuff that cannot be made into movies. So check that out and uh, be back here tomorrow. In the meantime, subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to us over on Odyssey. Uh, connect with us on all the social media, sign up for our newsletter, and remember there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 